When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joe Nelson, my friend from bringmethenews.com. And the reason that you are here, Joe, is because both of us have been watching the Netflix series Quarterback. And I actually just got off the phone with a bunch of Vikings fans who I asked on Twitter to reach out to me and uh, tell me what they thought of it because everybody's watching, everybody's talking about it. It's kind of like the uh, like the Jordan doc during the COVID year where there was literally nothing else going on. So everyone all watched the same thing. And a, a real range of opinions that we'll get into and, and talk about this thing. But I'd love to just start out with your takeaway. And the reason I wanted you on the show is because you guys have been writing about it and bringing me the news. I know that you and Jonathan Harrison have been watching it and going over it with a fine tooth comb for uh, anything that you can make into a headline. <laughs> we woke up at two o'clock in the morning Wednesday when, when it dropped on Netflix. So midnight Pacific time, right? So we got up and we were like, we got to get the jump on this. We need to get the stories because you need to get the clicks. And if you're first, you win. It's it's that's the the media jackal lifestyle, right? So two o'clock in the morning, we hop out of bed and we are alternating episodes. He watches episode one, I go two, he goes three, I go four, you know, so on and so forth until we consumed all eight episodes in like a three and a half hour, four hour block. And we're taking notes and writing, trying to craft some some silly story out of this whole thing. But yeah, we we got a heavy dose of it, and it was very hard noxy. Uh, but the focus was just on like three players and their families, so it wasn't as scattered. And it, what I think is really intriguing about it is that you're getting the inside look at three premier players, well, two premier players and one former Heisman winner, which is pretty good. I think Mariota won the Heisman, didn't he? If not, he was really good at football in college and not so much in the NFL. But uh, let's just talk about kind of the the overarching thoughts, and then we can dive into some specifics from the show. Uh, For me, I think that covering the league, I'm not surprised by anything that was shown there, but it's nothing that even reporters would get to see it actually happening. And what I mean is, especially the rehab that Kirk Cousins goes through, uh, you know, all that it takes. I mean, this is one thing that every player will talk about when they get into the NFL is how much more physical rehab they have to do, how much work away from the facility that they have to do, the dedication to even understand the playbook and all those things. And I think what this did a tremendous job of specifically with Kirk is just sort of pulling back the curtains and saying everything that this guy does to get on the field is right here. Take a look at it. How insane is this? And so you have the immediate reaction of like, wow. I mean, even knowing generally what it took from my perspective, being able to actually see it, 
You understand. I think one of the things I, I came away with Joe is you understand why some quarterbacks, actually a lot of quarterbacks don't work out in the NFL because the price to pay poker is that like, that is what it takes to get on the field as an NFL player. That's the pain that you have to go through. That's the physical rehab. That's the amount of hours that you have to put into it. And it becomes an entire thing for your family, like an all consuming yeah. part of your family to even be an NFL quarterback. So I, I think that that was maybe like at the top of the list of the sort of wow factor of the show. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. The, the family dynamic I thought was really interesting because I've seen a lot of Minnesota fans all of a sudden um, kind of just patting Kirk on the back for how dedicated he is to dad life, that Midwestern dad vibe. And, you know, once the game's over, the pads are off, or even when the pads are on in some of the instances in the show, you know, hey, 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 Cooper here. Uh, hey, Tur is it Turner and Cooper? Is that what they are? No, it's Cooper and uh, can't remember his kids' names, but hey, Cooper, you know, let's let's get a chicken nugget, you know, five strawberries, good moderation, you know, that stuff was really cool. But then they looked at Patrick Mahomes and how how much flair and how boisterous he was, both on and off the field, yelling at the dogs and everything. He's just a more intense human than Kirk is. So the Minnesota fans are like, oh, wow, I really like this, this Kirk vibe. It's really appealing to me because we love that here in Minnesota. And then we're kind of put off by the Patrick Mahomes cocky vibe right but the difference is kirk's 34 going on 35 he's got got two kids and a wife and he's he's been there and done that you know a decade longer almost than patrick mahomes has so you got to see both sides on and off the field i was i was i you know just really surprised about literally everything i had no idea that kirk was hooking up electrodes to his head and watching something in his car after a long day at TCO Performance Center and trying to determine if he was focused or not when the video goes in and out of focus on his phone. I mean, it's just ridiculous how long those days are. And then to still have the, uh, you know, the patience as a parent, I know, parent of two young kids, I know, the patience to sit down, read a book, sing the song, and then get your minute of alone time. That's 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 not for the weak. I mean, that's crazy, and it explains why a lot of guys do do flame out, no matter how athletic or strong their arms are. So I remember uh, I wrote a story when Kirk first came to Minnesota, where I interviewed a quarterback coach that he had worked with on some throwing technique when he was in Washington, and what he did when he was in Washington as a backup because he wasn't getting a whole lot of reps with the first. It might not even be the second team because I think Rex Grossman was there as well when he first started, and so he wasn't getting a lot of opportunity to even really throw the football in practice. And so he would fly this coach in, and they would work with like after practice practice together to just try to subtly and slowly improve his throwing technique. And he would do that all the time. And I think that there was also a story, uh, I can't remember, maybe Bleacher Report wrote it about how he had an office in Washington specifically kind of for him. So he could go in there and study and kind of have his own space to him. I think what you really see is a guy who, when you look at his NFL combine scores, incredibly unimpressive as an athlete in comparison to like the Cam Newtons of the world and the Michael Vicks of the world uh, or the Josh Allens. I and mean, he doesn't have the height, the speed, whatever. Um, so he understood from really day one of being in the NFL and probably even when he was in college as well, because he was not a highly recruited athlete coming out of high school, that the only way yep. he was going to make it was just by doing things that other people were not willing to do. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like the real 
real magic with him is what happens behind the scenes, the stuff that nobody sees and how much he puts into it. And those are such great examples. I mean, it looks a little funny. Someone used the uh, the prison mic meme of uh, him with the electrode thing on his head. And there's... <laughs> There is some of me that says, like, does this really work or really do anything? But I, I think that no. the, the sheer amount of information and focus that it requires to memorize just all of the plays and not just your own uh, assignment, which a wide receiver or a tight end or something might have to know. It's every single person's assignment where they have to be. And I don't know that any show has ever done a better job at taking us behind the scenes of what it takes to actually just stand out there on the field. Yeah. Now, well, the photographic memory thing is it, well, it's not that these guys have photographic memories like, uh, you know, uh, McVeigh, right? It's like these guys are very close to it. And it takes intense studying where you sit there and look at it. If somebody offered you eh, $35 million to do that for, I don't know, what, eight, nine straight months. It's like you, you watch what he's doing in that. And yeah, you take it and you do it. But the commitment and that must be just a miserable 10 months outside of game days. I mean, that's that's quite the commitment. But what I thought really stood out, you know, when you talk about the the physical attributes and being lowly recruited and, you know, the only way he can stay in the game is with this cerebral nature and putting in the work uh, with his mind, really, just having enough arm talent and, and whatnot to get the job done. But how does a guy, and this is where I think those, those electrodes and neuro focus thing really come into play here, maybe, is when a guy in a game against Buffalo gets absolutely destroyed and his ribs are on the verge of cracking in half on both sides and you hear him groaning in pain, but to still in those moments stand in there and make some of the throws he made to Justin Jefferson in that game. Remember late, there's that deep throw to the sideline that set up the eventual major talking point from the show, which was the, 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 the QB sneak mistake that he made and Kevin O'Connell was all over him. But to make those throws when you're in that kind of pain, in that kind of pressure, unbelievable like you can that that's just arm talent and guts that's that's the stuff that I don't think anybody ever thought Kirk Cousins necessarily had it's like we see him playing 16 17 games whatever the length of the regular season is and we say okay well that's because he's you know uh, he's not a scrambling quarterback he's not he's avoiding the big hits he's getting rid of the ball he's protecting himself that's not always the case and I think this was an eye-opener for me anyway to say just how tough he is especially when you're in your mid-30s and things do take longer to heal it's 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 really remarkable and he deserves a standing applause a standing ovation for that kind of performance yeah tell me about it uh this is sort of uh, devolves into the hey remember those people on the internet who said they could uh, gain five yards in the nfl i just want to watch uh, kirk take a hit there and he spends the entire year preparing his body for those hits uh the other day i was doing something moving and uh, we'll, we'll get to, eventually we'll have a nicer background here uh someday when i i finally get moved um, but I just leaned over and pulled something in my back and it took like four, it took like four days to heal. Like, yeah, Kirk and I are almost the same age. And so that's what he's, that's what he's going through in comparison. Coming at you and, and knocking you on your backside and you make a throw and complete it. And, you know, I thought that was a really cool moment in the show. Deron Payne hits Kirk Cousins and he's on his back. Oh, oh, did we get the first down? And then, you know. Moments before that, Deron Payne hits him and taps him, and he's like, you'll be all right. 
It's like, this is not fair. This is a little Kirk versus Big Duran, and you just got leveled, but you won the play. I mean, it's it's, ama- it's amazing what these guys can accomplish. I think this does shine a light on a sort of the right and wrong criticisms of Kirk Cousins, which is something that over the last, uh, I don't know, five plus years or whatever that we've talked about a lot on this show. It's like if and, and this sort of gets into what I was talking with Vikings fans about is like you, I think that you can say that he can't get them over the top by himself that even with good teams that they've had, it's just not enough. You can point to the contract. You can point to the lack of athleticism and a lack of playmaking. And I think there's even something to be said through this documentary of what you talked about with Patrick Mahomes. And while some people may be put off by the cockiness of Patrick Mahomes, there's also the element of let's talk about all the greatest athletes to ever play. And they all kind of have that next level gene of competitiveness to the level of being a psycho where he says like i just black out sometimes out there and start just doing stuff i don't even know what's going on and i think that there is that that there is a part of him where when we're talking about that check down on fourth and eight and he's saying like well you know jefferson is double teamed and we're all going kirk um that's a you should really just throw that to him anyway so there's there's like parts that are worth criticizing and then there's others that, that are not like his toughness his ability to lead an offense, his professionalism. And I think what this also showed Joe was the care, like the ride home is the scene that I think a lot of people will take home with them for a long time because you can just sense the agony that he was going through because he really felt like that was his one big shot to make this happen and to not have it happen. uh, You could really feel that it was, it was crushing his soul. Yeah, I'm at a point in my life where it's it's actually really starting to bother me when when I go on Twitter, which is a hellscape, of course. Um, but anywhere, when I sit here and see people justifying their their not even criticisms, but a holism towards athletes because they make a lot of money, it's like I, mental health matters, and thirty five million dollars can buy you a lot of therapists, but your therapist might be a hundred bucks a session. Right. And that might be the best therapist in the world for you. These guys, it's not I mean, they can't take that much. You cannot hammer people the way we've been hammering people in this world for ages. It comes with the territory is such a lame excuse. You know, just put yourself in somebody else's shoes for once in your life and try to imagine what it would be like to sit down at dinner with your kid or your wife or your friends and have them ask about how much the world despises you because you didn't throw for a first down. I get it. It's what this whole industry is made of, right? It's just this jackassism that exists in, in media, but it doesn't have to be. We can all be kind. Like, I really do feel for these guys. We see it all the time. I'll never forget it. Uh, a, a few years ago, I wrote a story about Adrian Payne, the former Timberwolf, right? And it was it was just a mockery, and I feel guilty about it to this day. But somebody created a, a video of lowlights. You know, Adrian Payne was a great Michigan State player, but he wasn't a good NBA player. He he great basketball player. He made it to the highest level. Well, then Adrian Payne dies a few years later, and all you see is all these wonderful stories about how he's helping kids with cancer away from the court and everything. His whole NBA career was just filled with people online mocking him, and I was a part of that for that brief moment. 
And I feel bad about that. So like when you when you actually sit back and think about what you're saying about Kirk Cousins and then you get an opportunity to see how great of a guy he is, at least in these 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 snippets where these videos are uncensored around him all the time. Yes, he did say that he had the opportunity to approve all of the content that went out in this the show. So maybe there's some uglier moments that didn't get out there. I don't know. But you gotta think twice about it. Culture has to change. That's that's my soapbox, I guess. But yeah, I really feel for him because he just seems like such a legit, genuinely nice guy. I think uh, what one of the biggest takeaways from the fans I talked to was humanizing Kirk Cousins for them in ways that, I mean, if you are reading every single thing that's ever been written about Kirk, you would probably get a good understanding of this stuff, but I'm not sure anyone could possibly do that. Uh, but, you know, I think you can live in both worlds where you can live in a world where it's very fair to look at the Kirk Cousins era and say, this was not what it was expected to be to have one playoff win it was expected to be more than that you can look at times throughout his career here where he's been kind of tone deaf in the way that he acted and uh you know his some of his public comments and things like that that would be off-putting to fans and deserving of criticism that's why i'm talking about like in the realm of what we should and should not criticize about Kirk Cousins. And it is also worth bringing up exactly what you said that throughout a season, well, they, first of all, they didn't pick 2021, they picked 2022. So it was a lot easier to make Kirk look like, uh, you know, he was uh, having an okay time and, and a fun time with this team and the locker room and everything else. I would love to see the NFL films behind the scenes for 2021. And I also think that you have to understand that the job of this thing was to show certain parts of playing quarterback. But if it's inside the locker room all the time, if it was inside the coach's room all the time, uh, there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of tense moments. I mean, I would have loved to have seen the behind the scenes on their last practice before week one, where they were, where they, I think they threw five interceptions or something. And there was clearly some dissent going on at training camp. So a lot of like the negative parts of what happens throughout a season and the tension and frustration and, and people not getting along and drama is washed out of this. And you just have to understand that that's not a criticism. It's just, just like the Jordan documentary it's done by Jordan. You have to understand what we're trying to do here. Um, but I want to talk about Kevin O'Connell. Uh, in this, because I think that obviously Kirk Cousins, the family man, the tough guy, the like does anything, you know, and everything to be on the field guy is the biggest winner of the whole thing. I mean, we already knew all this about Mahomes. We kind of already knew all this about Mariota, but uh, second biggest winner, I think, is Kevin O'Connell. And it was very interesting to get even just a little window into his relationship with Kirk Cousins. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, what I thought was really, really prudent about his presence in the episodes was he comes across as the guy who would be a player's coach, but you don't want to disappoint him. Like he's very fair, but he's very stern, but he does it in a very polite way. Like he's just a professional from top to bottom, head to toe. Um, the, the moment where he's upset with Kirk in the Buffalo game, 
I think that's a great example because he can separate friend from business, right? A lot of people can't do that. And that's what I think you have to do as a, as a football coach and a leader of men. Kirk always mentions, we always saw all these, uh, the, the post-game celebrations in the locker room where Kirk's like, all right, man, all right, man. You talk to him like men, but you're very serious about it. This is a business. Um, Leslie Frazier, I always thought when he was there, he was he was too quiet. Brad Childress, I thought, didn't have that relationship ability. Uh, Mike Zimmer, same kind of thing, too stern, too too much of a, this is football. You know, KOC seems like he just has that perfect blend, the perfect ingredient that's going to help sustain uh, a, a culture of success and happiness, but with, with expectations being met. Like nobody's going to walk over him because they know that if they abuse that that relationship, he's, he's not going to put up with it. Yeah, I think that's true. And one of the questions that I had about O'Connell early on, especially when last year they were making a big deal of him not yelling during training camp, of which, <laughs> let me tell you, when Mike Zimmer was coaching, it was a little bit louder than that. Uh, with The loudest of all time is, in my, in my experience, Eric Bieniemy. Oh, my God. When he was the running backs coach of the Vikings when Adrian was young, uh, I'll never forget. Toby Gerhardt must have nightmares about the amount of yelling sessions he had. And we're not talking yelling sessions. We're talking like, hey, this is your father straight from hell. He just got home from the bar and he's going to abuse you verbally. <laughs> this is terrifying stuff. But I digress. Go on. No, and I think actually what you just said is one of the reasons the enemy hasn't gotten a head coaching job along with other reasons. But some of that, I, I think that he's even rubbed Mahomes the wrong way at times. And uh, there's been a little bit of uh, conflict between those two, which I think is played into it um, for why he hasn't gotten more attention despite his accomplishments. Uh, but uh, Phil Rauscher, their offensive line coach from two years ago, he was the guy that you could hear all the way outside of the stadium if you were there for, for practice. Practice. But one of my questions was uh, just, uh, is he going to be able to turn it on when he needs to turn it on? Because like you said, Mr. Nice Guy is good, but you also need to be able to MF some people to make sure that everybody knows like you're serious. And I remember there's a great story about Joe Gibbs, where Joe Gibbs was the most even type of guy. And they went into halftime once down, you know, 14 points or something. And, and Joe Gibbs threw a table and they were like, Oh my gosh, if this guy lost it. And I think there needs to be some of that with him as well. And also where it's like an understanding. And I think Gary Kubiak was great at this too. An understanding of what you're going through as a quarterback, but also the standard is not just excuses when you make mistakes. Right. And, you know, and yeah. the way he, I think talked about Kirk and defended him in public is admirable as well, but much more importantly, that relationship between the two. And this goes to, again, we don't know about all those interactions. We only, know the way that they're presented here but my mind went to the next quarterback because i'm me and of course it did but I, here's what yeah. i think though i think what you saw from the perspective of the next quarterback who comes in what he's going to be up against with o'connell's offense whoever that might be if it's a rookie but also what he has in a person who's going to lead him. And I remember when he was getting hired and there was a chunk of people that wanted Harbaugh and maybe we did too for the content just a little bit. But the thing that I pushed back the most on was, don't you want the offensive coordinator who worked with McVay, who like connects with people and is a former quarterback, because there's nothing that's going to be more important than the next quarterback. And I, I think you come away with even more confidence than you had after last year. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all of that happened with one year of, you know, the KOC game plan, which is pretty remarkable. And to, to have so many fourth quarter comebacks and, and come from behind victories, I mean, that that's remarkable in and of itself. Now, I, I remember writing a story last year about how the offense was just, this might have been just a first half issue more than a second half of the season issue, but Third quarters, they were disastrous for the first, you know, five, six games of the season. I think that I think through the week six, they had six points in the third quarter. And they were lighting up teams. They were up 21-nothing on the Bears, and then they find themselves down 22 to 21. And you know, this kept on happening. But I think those kinds of issues might go away in in year two because they're they'll just have that offense down pat a little bit more. But in terms of the you know, Kevin O'Connell and is he the right kind of leader and 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 is he the nice guy and can he find that balancing act? Where, where I think he did that, and maybe this is all Quasi Adolfo Mensa, but where, where KOC gets some credit here is moving on from a lot of popular players. I mean, those are things that this franchise hasn't done in the past, and I think actions speak louder than words. And when you say goodbye uh, to uh, uh, Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook specifically – and then Patrick Peterson to a degree, and Zadarius Smith wanted out uh, him to a degree though, as well. Eric Kendricks definitely is is one of those that that, that is a big star next to his name. When you say goodbye to those players, it sends a signal that nobody's safe, even if you're my buddy. Remember, KOC talked glowingly about Adam Thielen every time he talked about him. He's like, "This is a good friend of mine. This is somebody that I rely on. We have a great relationship. It seems like a lifelong kind of thing, but." This is a business, and it didn't get in the way of that decision, that roster move. So, you know, I think we can probably expect the same kind of thing for Kirk Cousins going forward. Maybe they sign him to an extension. Maybe they don't. But but the seeds have been planted where they now have set the precedent that nobody is safe. It doesn't matter what your contract status is or any, what your friendship is like, you know, how much respect you have. It's it's just business. And I think he's done that. Yeah, I, I think that um, even during last year, he did a good job, Kevin O'Connell, at the end of the season, sort of preparing people for what w- was going to happen, where he talked about how much those players meant to him. But there's realities of business. And you can kind right. of I mean, with them, though, you can't really put it on the GM because it's really these two. It's like the Zimmer Spielman era, the uh, Dafo Mensa, Kevin O'Connell era, a little harder to say, um, you know, more syllables. But uh, no, I mean, I mean, it's them. It's like they're a team. They they have presented themselves that way. They go to San Diego State basketball games during the NCAA tournament that way. And so being ruthless and allowing some of those players to go when I think a lot of coaches would fight for those veteran players to stay. And maybe that's why they did in part. Uh, also, there's the ownership element of all that. But I, I don't want to get too far away from the, the Netflix show conversation um, because I think that that communication, the ability to communicate but also lead in somewhat of a stern way at times, but also an understanding way at times was really important. But one thing that didn't really happen, Joe, is adversity with this team last year. And I thought that, you know, with this, of course, as you're you're following around along the ride, you see how Kirk dealt with the loss to the Giants and everything else. But 
I guess the the fact that they didn't play any more games after that, I wonder if it will linger and I wonder how things will progress with Kirk Cousins this year and with Kevin O'Connell when it is a little bit different. It is a little bit beyond just the the honeymoon here um, for both of those guys. And if there are, I think, more bumps in the road, that will be something that's really interesting to watch how he reacts because last year was mostly a magic carpet ride. Yeah, I, the only real example I think we got last year of responding to adversity was the Dallas blowout, right? You get you get your ass kicked forty to three on Sunday Night Football, and the whole world's laughing at you. You know, seven days after you you have the miracle game against the Bills, which let's if we're all being real, the Vikings probably should have won about seven games last year. It was just remarkable, and that that might be their fate this year, but. Um, how they respond is yet to be determined, and we really don't have any information to base any kind of prediction off of other than that Dallas game, right? That, that was a regular season game. Uh, they had the excuse that, hey, we were exhausted after that Buffalo thriller, right? They had the excuse that, hey, we were 7-1 and one going into that game. You know, we had the excuse that, hey, our, our seeds are planted in the playoffs pretty much already because we're in this division. I mean, they had a lot of things going for them in terms of excuse land. So I, I honestly, I can't draw from anything off the top of my head that, that would scream, yeah, they're going to come back from that adversity against the Giants. I mean, there's literally nothing other than the Dallas game. Yeah. Can you think of anything? And, I, yes. and the way that they bounced back a few uh, nights later against the New England Patriots was very impressive. Um, although they did give up pro- Mac Jones's best game ever but it came that night um but there's not a whole lot they could do there i guess that the the part about adversity is just the defense and the way it was handled was not good enough uh because i think that if he's learning anything from last year we talk about that sternness and i don't want to give him too much credit for that because i think that when a defensive coordinator continues to be insubordinate and not play the way you want him to play you can't let him stay in charge uh and they did that for yeah. ed donatel and it very well may have cost them because they just refused to ever blitz Daniel Jones in that playoff game. And they, he sat back and picked them apart and they lost in part because of it. And I know I did notice that Kirk snuck in there. Well, when you only have like 50 plays and it was like, yeah, I hear you, buddy. I know what you're saying. And you know what, what was cut out of that conversation might've been a longer rant about the defense uh, between him and his wife. Cause I'll tell you, if I was him, I probably would have been having that rant about the defense on my way home. Oh yeah. Well, what do you think it was? Do you think it was, you think it was uh, the actual struggle with you know impl- implementing a more aggressive defense in the course of a season, or was it you know Kevin O'Connell? Maybe that was the one hiccup where he was like, I just can't find it in me. In, in, I don't have the intestinal fortitude to tell this respected leader with years of experience and successful defenses at Donatel that he needs to be more aggressive. Did he just was that a miss on his part, or was it actually more of a scheme thing where they couldn't? couldn't do it. They didn't have the brain power on defense to get it done. I think that Kevin O'Connell tried to get Donatel to change. And I think that sometimes in some parts of games, he would like against Indianapolis, they were really aggressive in the second half of that game, but it was really only because there was nothing to lose. Anytime it was a close game, he completely backed off. And I think that they had just enough kind of like 
salvaging performances for him to not pull the trigger and just fire at Donatel, but probably should have. And yeah. and you know what? There's another part of it too. And I don't know that this played into it. And I've I've maybe like floated this to a few people who don't agree with it. So I, I'm not saying there's something really to it. But if you make a, a firing like that, you have to tell who. You have to tell ownership. And if you tell ownership, right. I want to fire the defensive coordinator in the middle of the season, isn't that what people didn't like about Mike Zimmer is that he kept doing that, right. um, so, you know, firing yeah. coordinators and coaches and stuff and having the changes. So I did wonder if there was some lingering kind of impact of like the last guy would do this. So I can't really do this. Or if he just believed that he would turn it around. I think with Ed Donatel, it was really that the cover band is not as good as the real band. Um, that Vic Fangio is the real deal. He's the Beatles. And the uh, Ed Donatel is the cover band who dresses up like the Beatles and plays your little local festival. And it's it's just not the same. So um, anyway, but let, let, let's, I want to ask this though. It's something that I asked a bunch of fans when I talked to them for this story was, did it change what you think of the situation with Kirk? Not the view of him. Cause I think it did. I think it did change. Uh, one fan said, look, I mean, I've been as critical as anybody about not winning, but if you are just hating on him as a guy, you're just going to hate on anything, no matter what. And so I think it did have an impact in how he's viewed overall, but does it yeah. impact how we think the future is going to go now that we've seen more behind the scenes or how we think it should go? I hope it doesn't, and here's why. I, I, I'm a proponent of moving on from Kirk Cousins either, you know, before the November trade deadline this year or after the season, right? Like, if you can trade him, great. That only happens, obviously, if you're melting down and you're you're out of contention. But um, I, I think they have to move on, and he, here's why. I, I, liken, I liken Kirk Cousins to, you know, actually, this is, this is kind of romantic, but the Minnesota Twins pitching staff this year, right? If you want to talk about baseball, the Twins have one of the best ERAs in the majors. They've got some starting pitchers like Pablo Lopez and Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray who are pretty good. But deep down, I know that when Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, or Sonny Gray are going to be facing the Astros or the Yankees in the playoffs, they're going to get melted down. They're going to struggle. They're not there are very few guys in sports who can take you over the top. And if the Vikings want to get over the top, I, I think Kirk Cousins is more like a Sonny Gray or a Joe Ryan or a Pablo Lopez than he is a Garrett Cole or a Randy Johnson or a Kurt Schilling or Pedro Martinez, right? Patrick Mar Mahomes is Pedro Martinez. You need a Roger Clemens, right? Who's a Roger Clemens? There's 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 what five or six of them in the NFL right now that you can you can legitimately say and, and Justin Jefferson probably had all five of them on his uh, top five quarterbacks list right I mean there's not many out there so yeah I, I definitely the show changed my 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 opinion or at least a, it changed my view of who Kirk Cousins is all around already knew that he was a great guy I didn't know he was this appealing on all different levels. I didn't know his abs were quite that ripped. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I learned and I, I, I like about him, but it doesn't change my opinion about what he's going to do on the big stage.
until he proves otherwise. And I also think that there's another interpretation of the toughness that says, like, this this guy just got tenderized. Like, he just got, I mean, he just he just got beaten down uh, this year. Do you want to sign a guy who you just watched on TV get obliterated week in and week out and barely walk up to his uh, walk up to read the Bible book to his little boy um, after a game? He could barely walk up the stairs because his ribs are, are bleeding or bleeding around his ribs. I don't know what's going on in there. It's brutal, though. Right. Like he's 35 years old. It's not going to be sore. It's going to be injured eventually. You can only be durable for so long and maybe he'll he's father time and he can handle it but I, I i don't know i would not risk signing him to anything beyond this year i just wouldn't do it yeah and it really speaks to you know we've seen this a number of times with quarterbacks that they get to the mid-30s and then they do have that fall off and some of them keep playing badly like eli manning he just kept playing in his mid thirties. But I mean, Matt Ryan at 35 years old, I think was four and 12. I, I mean, the, the, the start hit and Matt Ryan is a much superior athlete to Kirk cousins, but sort of in that same range of not the best, best, best quarterback in the league. And that was when he started to drift off and he's still like six, four and two thirty, and much more uh, built than cousins is. I, th- I think it's just the forces of nature when you get hit that much. And I do wonder about this season where those things do add up. And it's not like you just get an off season, it all heals up and you're exactly a hundred percent. It's kind of like my back injury in a way where I heard this actually during COVID at some point and every once in a while it just continues to come up. And I, I think that will happen over the years as anyone does have it happen, except for the absolute freaks of the breeze and the Rogers and so forth that last deep into their thirties and forties. So it's not a good bet. I mean, even if you like what you saw and even if you think, well, these two can win together, eventually look at where the roster is, look at what the price tag is, look at what he wanted multiple years from his side uh, to be extended. I don't think it changes any of the realities, even if people, even if the whole world is saying, wow, whole new respect for this guy and how much he puts in. But I think that it also does leave a little pang of fear for the next quarterback, because I think what everybody realizes is if the next guy isn't willing to do all these same things as Kirk Cousins, even if he is more physically gifted, then it really shows you there's probably 15 people who are walking around Roger Goodell's green grass who can actually put themselves through this stuff and have the talent to play and the leadership and the understanding of football and everything else and the accuracy and all that stuff. And so you go, Oh man, if there's only like 15 guys, like we're going to draft one. Is that really the silver bullet? But I think that we're at a point where regardless of how much you enjoyed that and as an NFL films junkie, it's like right up my alley. It's everything that I want uh, in, in, you know, a, a show, but I think you could still sort of pull yourself back despite the football high and say, yeah, but I still think there's some realities to this thing that they can't overcome unless they draft someone. Here's what, here's what I'd be worried about. If, if you really, you really sit back and take a 30,000 foot view of this whole situation, you brought it up earlier. How much say does ownership have when it comes to these decisions, right? Are Ziggy and Mark will hands off and they're like, Hey, Quasi, just, uh, do what you think is best for this team, or do they see this, 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 these eight episodes and and Kirk Cousins' markability skyrocketing? I mean, let's let's think about this. The last twelve months of Kirk Cousins, the markability has gone through the roof. You had the Kirko chains thing. You had the NFL Honors show where they put the seventeen chains on him, in, and they they highlighted it all in the Netflix episode as well. And now you get these eight episodes that make him as endearing as anyone in the game, right? Like people are 
newfound respect for this guy. They, they might look at him in a different light and say, okay, we do have ourselves a top 10 quarterback. Just watch him. He'll, he'll inch up all these rankings, right? But is, is, is that enough or is that going to be the influencer for ownership to say, we got to give this guy three more years, even if it means it's not our best shot to win a Super Bowl. Um, that's dangerous. And here's, here's the other part too. Fans are going to look at him and, and now say, well, we can't get rid of Kirk. He's our best shot to win a Super Bowl because that is the reality right now. He's he's our best shot to win a Super Bowl. But what's going to happen, right? You're, you're not going to get there. Maybe you won't get there. And now you sacrificed two or three more years of the Kwesi KOC regime, and they still won't have had their say on how things work. And I know you've written extensively about that, and it's decision time for them to to go with a new quarterback or hitch their wagon to Kirk. Now, it feels like because of the market, marketability that they might be forced to hitch their wagon to Kirk long term. I think that's a that's a truly dangerous scenario that, that we're all facing here in the very near future. You know, what that sounds like that sounds like a trolley. Bring me the news uh, article that you yeah, that, that you asked me to write. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm writing that. Uh, but uh, there um, there has been a, a handful of fans who have asked me that question. Like, uh, are the Wills going to watch this thing and like Kirk so much that they like demand he's extended? And my initial reaction was like, come on. No. And then I watched it. and I was like, OK, I don't know. Maybe the Wilfs are in the business of making money. They were they were printing bills before they were building U.S. Bank Stadium. Right. I mean, that's what they do. They're real estate icons, moguls. You know, this is what they do. They see the marketability and they're like, oh, my God. Shirts nowadays are going for $35 with a Nike logo on them. Let's get those chains on Kirk's neck and print them. You know, it's it's crazy. They know they'll still sell out that stadium. They know that they'll go to the playoffs. They know that they're they're, they're making money. It's 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 dangerous. Well, I do yeah, I do think, and I it's hard to say. Like I don't have their text messages to Quasi and Appelmensa, but I do think that when Quasi and Kevin O'Connell arrived, if we're putting together all the pieces of the puzzle, what we've seen now that we know in hindsight is that this was the agreed upon direction. And I think that you would be doing a massive disservice to your new GM and coach if you don't give them any shots at their own quarterback, especially with the advantage that they have to have figured out by now of the salary cap with a rookie quarterback contract plus you know kevin o'connell mentioned i don't know a bunch of times last year to us at the combine and then in a couple other press conferences how he really likes looking at all the quarterbacks in the draft and you just can see him like foaming at the mouth a little like give me my shot give me my shot to draft one and they've kind of made their bet on not drafting kenny pickett or will levis like they're kind of betting on kevin o'connell's ability and his staff to identify who that guy is but there is always the if you win too many games then you're going to end up kind of out of that discussion but i think mahomes is is evidence that you can get up there if you want to i mean i think that kansas city was drafting like 27th or something and traded all the way up to 10 if you really want somebody you could probably find a way so anyway those who haven't watched it i would highly suggest it or at bringmethenews.com you guys have done a lot of the sort of must watch things if you're not a netflix subscriber if you're giving all of your money to purple insider substack which i think you could do then um and you rather not sign up for Netflix for one thing, then you could definitely see, you know, recaps from what you guys wrote, but uh, fun to get together with you, Joe. I appreciate it. It's a, a really fun conversation. Thanks for coming on, man. 
Yeah, thanks, dude. We'll see you on the golf course. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I've been working at it, and I'm still bad. Uh, BringMeTheNews.com, though, is where you can find all Minnesota news and sports. All right. Thanks. We'll uh, talk again soon.